Free Trail fam, what is up? Hope you're all doing great. Welcome back to the show in an episode that I absolutely loved recording. Today, our guest is Allie McLaughlin, Allie Mack, the great mountain runner from Colorado Springs, Colorado, who has a really fun story and who has been on a tear recently, winning the Broken Arrow Vertical K, finishing second at the Broken Arrow 26K two days later. And then more impressively, just last week, Ali smashed Mount Marathon, the legendary mountain race in Seward, Alaska that takes place on July 4th every year. It is some of the best must-see TV, the best race day broadcasting in the sport of trail running. And this year, I was so excited to have a front row seat to watch Allie Mack put on a historic performance. Not only did she win, but she broke the course record set back in 2015 by the great Emily Forsberg by about 40 seconds, a legendary run from Allie Mack. So it was super fun to talk about it. In addition to discussing Mount Marathon, we also spent a bunch of time on Allie's personal story, which I have to say was so fun. We didn't know each other well going into the conversation, but found that we have a lot in common. And it turned into one of those conversations where I just didn't look at my notes the whole time and the conversation just flowed organically on its own. Super fun getting to know Allie and I hope you all enjoy the conversation. As always, a big thank you to Speedland for being the presenting sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast. If you haven't yet checked out this amazing startup footwear brand, you must do so. Speedland provides a no compromises premium product, totally reimagining the footwear business model from the ground up pushing the industry forward. Um, They are produced in small quantities of the best possible materials. The SLHSV is quite simply the sweetest shoe I've ever worn. And I would absolutely provide my full endorsement, not only of the product, but also the well-intentioned small team behind the brand. I'm so excited about what we're building and we'd love it if you gave us a chance to be part of your footwear rotation. Please visit runspeedland.com. Check out the SLHSV and the forthcoming more maximal shoe, which we're finalizing design on now. So keep your eyes peeled on that. It's going to be incredible for now. Check out the SLHSV, runspeedland.com. Follow at runspeedland on Instagram and be part of this journey. Also a quick plug for another podcast sponsor, Gnarly Nutrition. They are doing something really cool that I just want to give them additional amplification for. They're currently opening uh, applications for the Fuel for Life grant where they are donating $15,000 to a running or cycling club who is making a difference in their local community. So if that sounds like you or if you're part of a club or run a club like that, go visit gonarly.com and submit your application. I'm a judge on the panel and I'm so looking forward to reviewing these applications and helping to pick the winner of this very generous $15,000 prize. Uh, And hopefully that, that prize will be of course, then allocated to making a difference using running or cycling in a local community somewhere in the United States. A big shout out to Gnarly Nutrition. They make such great product, but also truly do give back so much, including this amazing Fuel for Life grant. So go check it out at gonarly.com. It should be on the homepage there. 
Finally, it is Hard Rock Week, so two things to plug. First, if you haven't yet watched our race video, we just put up a uh, new film on our YouTube channel. It's a race video from last year's Hard Rock where I had one of the best races of my career to finish second behind the legend, the GOAT, Mr. Francois Dane. Check out that 30-minute video on our YouTube channel if you haven't already. And of course, I would be irresponsible to not encourage you to play Fantasy Trail with us for Hard Rock. It's a great field with some of the greatest athletes of all time in the mix. So go get your picks in at fantasy.freetrail.com. And finally, I think Corinne Malcolm and I are going to be doing a fun Free Trail Friday live stream on Friday this week during the Hard Rock race. Remember, Hard Rock starts on Friday morning. It'll be kind of a bootlegged broadcast where we talk about the field and the race and the conditions as the race evolves on Friday. So make sure you follow at run free trail on Instagram or myself for more details on that once we get things confirmed, but we should have a fun little broadcast for at least a couple hours on Friday. I'll put links to our YouTube channel and to the fantasy page in the show notes so you can have quick access to both of those. Okay. That's enough preamble today. Hope you enjoy this awesome episode with Allie Mack. See you on the other end. Allie Mack, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Yeah, super glad to have you. And this is our first time ever talking. So good to see you and very happy to uh, to learn a little bit more about your story. And first of all, I love your nickname. Allie Mack is a great brand. It's a great... <laughs> sports nickname. Have you been uh, using that for the entirety of your athletic career? Has that sort of been um, something that people have called you? Sort of. Um, I went to CU Boulder um, and uh, Wetmore was my coach. And I feel like in high school, people called me at once in a while, but I never really like never really dawned on me. And then uh, Whitmore called me it quite a bit. And so it kind of stuck after that. (laughs) (laughs) Iconic coach for the CU Buffalo's running program. Let's, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit because I think that'll be fun. But you are now home and settled after an amazing victory at Mount Marathon. I watched every second of your amazing performance there. How are you feeling? I guess just what, a, a few days removed from that awesome performance? Yeah, um... It it was, you know, just like traveling to Alaska and back and stuff or like coming back. It was a lot. So like it was on the plane, flew overnight. And like when I woke up, it was like kind of like it's finally sinking in. I was like, yes, like that would that happen. And it was so fast, too. I wish I could relive the the road section because I, I do love running. I train on roads a lot. So I like love that part. But like. You also can't go that fast after in a mountain race, but it just like felt so good to run with the crowds. And, and I think I was so focused on the record. I was watching the time that I didn't, um, yeah, I didn't take it all in at yeah. the moment. So, um, little, like kind of want to wish I could redo that, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as like soreness though, uh, it seems to like keep coming <laughs> in other spots, but, um, but I did run today and that was one of my biggest goals going into the race. I was like, I just don't want to end my season um, yeah. crashing or doing anything crazy. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I ran slowly with Harley today. Um, and then, 
Yeah. So like quad, you feel it in your quads, your calves. I, uh, <laughs> I was, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> incredible, especially just like how fast you fall off the mountain basically. And we'll go into more detail about it, but yeah, it's hard to stop and smell the roses on the road section when you're chasing Emily Forsberg's course record. And I was wondering if that was part of your psychology, but we'll talk more about Mount Marathon in a bit. But before we get to it, I think it'd be fun to just do some deep background stuff with you. Like I said, you and I don't know each other and I'm always interested to get to know the person behind the performance. And, uh, you know, of course I've seen your name around the sport for a while. And I think I had a loose idea of the fact that you ran at CU Boulder and you live in Colorado Springs, but maybe give us the the sort of two minute version of your life story just to set the table for the rest of the conversation. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't start running till my junior year in high school. Um, I played ice hockey my whole life, like pretty much from when I was six years old. To, really? um, Did yeah, you grow up in Colorado? Um, mostly my dad was in the air force when we didn't move around nearly as much as some families, but we lived in Texas for a good chunk. And that's actually where I started. And then we moved back to Colorado and, um, I played with the boys until high school and then, you know, they just, they get really big. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my parents didn't want me playing like past high school age. Um, so I, with guys, so I played on a girls team in Denver and, um, we were the only team in Colorado. And so, and then we would travel to the Midwest a lot for tournaments and big things. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to college for that. Um, I was mainly looking at D3 schools and stuff, but anyways, when you go, it goes U16 AAA. And then after that, like you get into U19 AAA and then, and then you're like a senior and then you go to college. But, um, I did not make the U19 team and, um, I think it partly was size girls get really big too. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, um, I could have played on the double A team, but the thing with like women's hockey is there's really, really talented girls, but then the level drops off. It's not very deep. Okay. So if you don't make the triple A team, it's kind of like, uh, you're just kind of playing like rec stuff. So, um, so yeah, so then that was when I, I always liked running. And so I was like, I, I had wanted to do it before, but it was just too much too many sports going on. And so once I didn't make the team, then I was like, well, I guess I'll go do cross country finally. And, uh, that was super fun. And then I still played lacrosse, um, through all of high school. You're a lax player too. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's my background also. What a great sport that is. What a great sport. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up in Boulder. Yeah. So I started playing like, you know, I'm a few years older than you, but that was sort of when the game was starting to move West away from, Northeastern and mid-Atlantic prep schools into the, into the mountain West, into the West coast. And what a fantastic game that is. Talk about the the whole hockey and lacrosse part of your life a little bit more, because I think this is really interesting now having yeah. not known anything about that. I know like women's ice hockey is experiencing a bit of a revolution right now. Like I think it's an Olympic sport. I don't know if it has been yeah. for a long it's, time. It, it's been for a little while. Cause I know like ever since I was, like in middle school and elementary school, I would, I always liked watching those girls and wanted to make it one day as anyone. Um, But yeah, lacrosse was actually a bigger part in high school of um, getting into running. We had a very good team, especially my, my year, we had like nine freshmen on varsity the year I 
was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we end up, we grew up together, like throughout the four years of high school and we won state our senior year. So it was like, just like a perfect. And this uh, is when you were in Colorado. Uh, yes. I went to Air Academy. It's in Colorado. No Springs. way. Okay. Yeah. We, yeah. I went to Fairview high school in Boulder. And so okay. we, we played Air Academy every year. Yeah. The cadets, awesome. the cadets, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, this is so fun. A couple of Colorado laxers here on a zoom yeah. call. And lacrosse is such a great sport too. Cause it's like, I mean, in getting me into running and maybe you too, um, I played midfield, so you yeah. run a lot. Um, and Colorado's a really, I think even back then we were really competitive with the East coast and, uh, California schools, especially at uh, Cherry Creek was always yeah. good and guys and girls, I think. Yep. Um, so yeah. And, and my coach's big thing to make varsity was you had to run a time mile, um, and you had to run under eight minutes, which I could do, but just fine. But, um, it became such like, I wanted to PR every time during tryouts and then like at practice and stuff. And he, it was such a big deal to him too. And then everyone thought like, Oh, you're so fast and stuff. And so I almost started to take the running part more serious uh-huh. than the lacrosse part. And, or I was just more into it. That was what like I was best at. And, and then I played midfield and would run the whole game. So I think that was a big part of my training like in high school. And this is so it. funny because it's literally a carbon copy of my, my oh, story also. Yay. Of course, I didn't go run, you know, division one at University of Colorado, one of the best programs in the country. But so, I mean, talk about that. Did you, were you like on the path of, you know, being recruited as a field sport athlete? And did you have to make a decision as to which sport to specialize in? You know, not really. Um, I, Cause I was a junior when I started running and I, I did was looking at, um, East coast schools for hockey and lacrosse my sophomore year. And so, um, Amherst was one Quinnipiac, like, it was like, Oh, it'd be so cool to play both. Um, but then by the time I ran cross country, my junior year, I knew that's like where, what I ultimately wanted to do. Yeah. And it went well. Um, I got stress fracture my first year cause I didn't know what I was doing, but yeah. it was fine. <laughs> um, and, but I, I had, I did pretty darn well, um, my first season. And so like, it was enough to actually, I don't even know if like they noticed that, but the nice thing about cross country, it's in the fall. So, you know, coaches have time to look before the spring and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I never really pursued lacrosse by then. Um, I started talking with cross country coaches by my senior year. So talk about how you ended up at the university of Colorado. Of course, when Mark Wetmore comes calling. It's probably a very big honor as a high school runner to be recruited to one of the best programs in the country, if not, you know, historically the best program to go run for. And it's just up the road from where you were living in Colorado Springs. Tell us about your, your collegiate running career. Yeah. And it's funny thinking back to being recruited because I kind of, I was very naive, which, and not in a bad way. It was just like, I knew I loved to run and, but I hadn't, since I hadn't been in the sport, I was still learning who was who and names of like professionals and what schools were good. Um, but I had some good people around me who were helpful and stuff. Um, but yeah, I took official visits to, um, CU, Oregon and Michigan state because my parents went there and they're like, Oh, you should just you need to go look at it. The Spartans <laughs> go Sparty. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was great, but, um, I went in January and it was super cold and dark and I, um, did 
would not survive there. <laughs> <laughs> I went to but, a, um, I went to a Notre Dame Michigan State football game in oh, East wow. Lansing, and uh, yeah, it was it was super fun. I have some friends that went to Michigan State also. But cool. I they think, are yeah. very passionate. I feel like much more into their football than we are at CU. Yeah, uh, and, and well known for football more so than their cross country program, probably. So yeah, so Which keep going. Is, all fun in itself, yeah. but, um, but it's also cool to go to a school that yeah, cross country is like, we honestly do better than the football team. But yeah, yeah. anyways, um, and then, so yeah, I loved both of them, but ultimately it did come down to Mark and Heather. Um, I just, uh, every conversation with them, um, I just so it would get so excited and I, I loved their, um, just, I love talking to them. I can't remember all the details, but, um, I really trusted them. And, and then, yeah, staying in Colorado, I think I, it, that wasn't like, I didn't have to do that, but like once it all was all said and done. And I'm, I think that was the best move to stay in Colorado for me. Um, cause I love it here. And, and I was able to, I did have injuries and stuff. So I was able to come back like once in a while to my parents' house yeah. and uh, get away easy without a flight. So, so yeah, what was but, your career like in those college years? I mean, you, you mentioned injury a couple of times. It seems like that was maybe a highlight of those. I, it's, I, I, um, my freshman year was awesome. Um, I got fifth at NCAA cross country nationals. Whoa. I didn't even know this. Wow. So yeah, I think it was like what it like tied with Shalane Flanagan or or me. I don't know. We are the highest freshmen and stuff. So like wow. It was a great like and I just um yeah, it was a whole new I never really ran long runs and uh like seven miles was my long run. So that was probably the biggest difference going into college, like up to that a little bit. Um I got to train with Jenny Berenger. Um or Simpson. Yep. Um, I mean, she mostly did her own stuff, but I eventually was doing long runs with her and, um, that was really cool. And yeah, it, it was an awesome fall. And then I just, uh, yeah, the injury cycle got in it and kind of never got out and it was, it was weird stuff. It was like, first it was tendonitis for several, several months. Um, I ran an indoor track meet up in, Washington. And that went pretty well. I did a three K I think in nine twenty. Um, and then it was just after that, I never really raced again until it was, let's see, I, I had the tendonitis and then I had a, um, sacrum stress fracture after that summer. Um, speaking of that summer though, I, uh, I couldn't really run with a tendonitis. So all I did was swim and, but the incline didn't hurt it. And that's what I train on now too. It's all um, making sense actually, now. It's all making sense. Yeah. Now. Um, that's when I got my like unofficial FKT cause I didn't have Strava back then, but the 2007 was set in 2010. It was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in college, but that's like people are like, Oh, are you going to go for that again? I'm like, I think the only reason I got that was because I was doing it three times a week yeah. and it was my sole focus. I'm like, I don't feel like doing that much on the incline <laughs> anymore. For our, for our listeners, just explain what the incline is for those who don't live at the base of it like you do. Yeah, it's um, it's a little less than a mile up the base of Pikes Peak. Um, I think it's called Mount Manitou. And uh, it's just an old railway or uh, old cog railway where they would like 
take people up for a ride and come back down. Um, but now it's just like stairs. They've taken the carts out of the railroad and it's just the ties. And it's, um, yeah, it gains 2,000 feet in 0.88 of a mile. And you can knock it out in like, I mean, the average person, like just like tourists or something probably takes like an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And then um, runners are anywhere between like 20 and 40 minutes, maybe. Yeah, I think Joe Gray has the men's FKT and a yes. little bit under... Like under 20 minutes. for sure. Yeah. I think it's like 17. So reflect on that injury cycle now with several years of perspective. I'm sure in the moment it was a fairly painful thing, but maybe has opened some doors for you in terms of building your career in the trail space. Like having been a sporty person your whole life, I'm sure like, and then finishing fifth that the collegiate or NCAA cross country national championships in your freshman year, you're on the path to, you know, be Shalane Flanagan or be Jenny Simpson, right? I'm sure there was some disappointment in those injury cycles. How did that play out, you know, maybe on a psycho, a psychological, emotional level and how did it maybe change your approach to running? You know, that's, it's such a good question. Cause I still like talk, think about it now and it's, it was a bummer because I, I also trained with Emma Coburn and she was on the team my freshman year, like she was on the team the whole time. But um, I was right up there with her and to like just see the path she's had and yeah. amazing success. It does. It does kind of like eat at you just a little bit because it's like, man, if I could have stayed healthy, could I be doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. But you always you always question it. But ultimately, like I'm able to look back now and during those years. I was just trying to get through each day. So it did, it wasn't, I mean, it was always hard not running, being around the team and stuff, but I was like always thinking I'd be back, you know, in the next month or the next season. And I think that's the problem. You're always trying to get back in shape real fast and then stuff happens. Wow. Um, and so as soon as I graduated, it was like, I knew I was going to go do trails because I never really saw the difference between trails, cross country track. To me, it was all running, but I did know I wanted to do the Pikes Peak Ascent one day and I was just waiting to graduate to do that. Um, and it wasn't like I had to do it. It was just like, oh, when I was ready after graduation, I would have the freedom to do it. Um, and it came pretty fast. Like literally the next summer was the first year I did it. And, um, when I, and I had done some other trail races, I actually made the U S team that summer too. Um, so it was like kind of jump, I didn't mean to, but I just jumped in full into trails and yeah. then never looked back. But looking back at CU2, like it's crazy. Or I look at all my injuries now and I, I, I never want another one, but I do look back at some of the big ones and how they have, they've all had a reason to direct me somewhere in life yeah. and it's like I'm like I'm not saying I like my injuries but I feel like <laughs> I've like have this relationship with each one that directed me somewhere and all the ones in college just kind of directed me to like finish college up and move on um and then get I got into trails but I had in the middle of all this trails uh from 2014 to today I think my biggest thing I didn't run I had hip surgery in 2016 um, and that I, I wanted to move to Nashville for film and country music and all this stuff. And I, and I decided not to, because I was like, no, running's going good. Like, why would I leave Colorado? And then literally like the next month, my hips started hurting. And then a year later I got surgery, blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, I kind of put running aside uh -huh. and I moved to Nashville and had a, an amazing time of all sorts of things. So, <laughs> so I give my 
hip surgery credit for that experience. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Now I don't know which direction we should go in. Yeah. You know, should we should we talk about the Pikes Peak Ascent or should we go into the creativity aspect? Because this is something that I wanted to learn about you too. But I guess to go sequentially, maybe we, we talk about Pikes Peak Ascent first because you sort of yeah. came out of college. You mentioned this and I think it was 2014 that you ran it for the first time and you won and you beat Morgan Aratola, who's a you know, an Olympic Nordic skier and one of the great sort of uphill specialists in trail running over the course of the last decade. Um, And so, but then like at least according to ultra sign up, yeah, things like went quiet for a few years. So you sort of came out of nowhere when the Pikes Peak ascent. And then it sounds like you suffered another one of these serious injuries that put you on the shelf for a couple of years. So I guess maybe talk about, talk about that and then sort of the creative side of yourself and, and how you maybe funnel that frustrated energy of injury into the creative life. Yeah, absolutely. And I can answer both questions because I'll try to make it short, but the story, they, they kind of intertwine. <laughs> um, yeah, just, uh, do you want to hear that? I don't know if I need to really talk about the ascent much, but kind of after that. I mean, I'm uh, sure, I'm sure doing the ascent and winning, coming out of the gates, coming out of college, being like, oh, I mean, seeing people like Emma Coburn and your contemporaries, you know, who you were racing against in the NCAA, it was probably like, wow, I just won this, this big trail race on my first try. It probably gave you at least some feeling of satisfaction after many years of frustration during your college years. Absolutely. Yeah. And so before that, that was in August, but, and, um, a few months before that I ran the U S mountain champs and I won that to make the world team that went to Italy. And so then, oh yeah. So I guess the ascent was in the middle of that. I made the team and then ran the ascent, which was also a world year that year. So we got to wear the USA jerseys. That was super cool. And then a month later we went, um, we went to the Italy at the world champs and I got third there. Um, and so like, honestly, at first though, like I didn't really understand if I was good or if there was just less competition. Yeah. Um, cause I was like, I, I mean, I, I loved placing so well, but at the same time I couldn't really like accept, sure. yeah. accept it or believe it. I just figured like, Oh, like maybe there's not as many people in trail running. And, um, but then I've come to find out like, there's a lot of really good people here. Um, and, and I really figured that out too, when I coming back, like when I wasn't as good as I was, I'm like, Oh shoot this. Yeah. I got to Yeah. They're good out here. Um, I just was really in shape then. Um, but yeah, um, I remember Heather wrote me Mark and Heather, uh, coaches at CU. It was, it was, even though I was hurt, we always had a very good relationship. Like it was hard. I did some things that they were not happy about, like train on the incline. Like we did have some disagreements in training and, but it has just a little bit, but it was net. They were always, always looking out for me. Someone, a lot of people think CU runs people into the ground and that was never the case. They did everything in their power. I would run, I I would run, even though I, I, did long runs in the beginning, but then they cut my mileage way back when I started having injuries and they would even like drive out specifically. So I could run my whole long run with the team, but I would stop early. So instead of like going out and back by myself, they would come drive and pick me up like so many great things. But in the end, when I finally like didn't take my fifth year, it was, 
it, it was pretty, I just remember like crying in their office and stuff, but it was the best decision like for both sides. And, yeah. um, but anyways, then when I won that U.S. When I made the team, um, Heather wrote me the nicest email just about being a national champion. And I thought that that meant so much to me um, wow. that they were still like watching me on the trails. And did it feel so, uh, like a, a, you know, a little validation for not taking the fifth year and pursuing a different path? Absolutely. Cause I, th- if I would have stayed there, it would have been the same, same, same yeah. thing. Um, and so I think totally leaving. Um, I took some time off, but I still like, I really, I not so much as much anymore, but I really loved the weight room back then. And so I did a lot of strength work, like not just like your like PT stuff, but like, I like like Olympic weights and stuff. And, um, it was fun just to do my own thing. And to this day, I have not had a coach since, um, I still use what I learned from Wetmore, like, like a weekly plan and, and further out, um, like certain days, workouts and stuff. I just kind of tweak it a little with trails. Um, and I think that was enough. I learned it then. And, um, I did learn, I don't, I don't know if I want to say it's my personality or something that's not coachable. Cause I, I, that sounds horrible, but yeah. I, I feel this pressure from coaches that like, you know, if, if I change the workout or if I don't feel like something or if something hurts, um, like I can't take it off, but not, but being on my own, I can just, you're not, you're not disappointing anybody or at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so like last year I did kind of like think about the idea, but then I'm like, no, 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 I, no way. (laughs) Well, it's, it's clearly working. So fast forward to Nashville. I would love to hear sort of what, what motivated that and just kind of introduce the, uh, the creative side of your life. Yeah. So once, um, 2015 came, I had hip, I was having hip problems and, um, and it hurt kind of that whole year. I, and then, and then it was 2016, I got my surgery and the surgery went super well, but, um, I just wasn't motivated to run or train necessarily. Um, I was ready to run in two months. Like it was healed almost, but I ended up taking pretty much a year off. And in that year I did so many cool things. And, um, one of the things I, went on a dirt bike. I do, I dirt bike and I went on a dirt bike trip with a friend to Moab, my first trip to Moab and, uh, we dirt biked and we went skydive. I had skydived before like many years, like my 21st birthday and it was cool. But then we were in Moab and we're like, let's go skydiving. And then we met some base jumpers and they asked us to hike with them. And I got to hike with them, watch them base jump. And I was like, guys, like who, what, when, where, why, how I need to do this. And they're like, well, you should probably learn to skydive first. And so literally two months later, um, I learned to skydive and, and that was actually in Nashville. So I was already planning to move to Nashville, but I was kind of living out that 2016 year. Um, just like doing other cool stuff. I worked for iHeartRadio in Colorado Springs and I wanted to do film and music videos and so I would kind of finished up my work there and was like trying to get a job in Nashville to like get closer to the music film scene. And, um, and I didn't really, I just, I ended up moving there with nothing, <laughs> just like wow. moving and figure I'll figure it out. Yeah. So, yeah. So in January, I, I had this plan to learn to skydive and I had this plan to film and stuff. So in January, 2017, I moved out there, learned to sky, like did my first jump the first weekend I was out there. And then, uh, 
I, uh, content, I knew some people who were music video directors. Um, I don't know if you like country music, but do you know who Old Dominion is? I don't know, but okay. I have gotten hammered at a bar in Nashville with uh, honky tonk, you know, playing. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that much I am uh, educated about, but please tell me more. <laughs> yeah, just super fun town. Um and I'm leaving out details, but it was, they were just sign after sign that it was going to work out. Cause like a friend, like distance friend, actually, this is like actually a fun little detail. Um, this girl, I kind of knew cause that her dad went to the gym and he followed running and ran into her and her cousin is, um, Seth Damore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how her dad, like so knew Pikes me. Peak, so. Pikes Peak smasher, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And actually I ran college at, with him okay. and Joe. But anyways, their cousin, her name is Michelle. She lived in Nashville and I kind of had connected through her dad and she randomly texted me and was like, Hey, do you still want to move to Nashville? We have a room in our house. And so that's when I was like, okay, this is going to happen. So I went then as I moved in 17, learned to skydive and, um, got a couple jobs working as like assistants on music videos. And, um, yeah. And then from there, just the connections happen. I worked out on weddings and, um, but skydiving was what really kind of like took all my attention. Um, it's a very awesome sport, but really tight knit as well with yeah. the people, like uh-huh. even smaller than running. Um, to this day, I'll go to drop zones around any country and guarantee you, I either know somebody or we have hundreds of mutual friends. Wow. Um, so yeah. So, and that was such a good distraction from running. Um, I don't want to say distraction, but just like, a, it's fun to be new at something and, yeah. and have this like whole other, get my high. Yeah. This way. Right. Yeah. And feel um, like connected to a community and also like being kind of obsessive about something where you want to learn things. I, I'm curious about this. Cause I, I kind of get the sense that you're, are, I don't know what the right word is, maybe like independent or just like a free spirit and that like you, you played ice hockey growing up. It's not something a lot of like young sporty girls do. Right. And then you played lacrosse and then you got into skydiving and dirt biking and then you moved to Nashville all on your own. Yeah. uh, Out of all that stuff, the Nashville is kind (laughs) of a shock. But it's, it's, I don't know, maybe indicative of maybe an independent streak in you. Is that accurate? Would you self-identify as such? Yeah, maybe, especially like Nashville was really cool for me because I had, I stayed, I stayed here for college and even though it was cool, like I, it didn't go super well. I was hurt all the time and I didn't really get out. I was so focused on like getting healthy or running well that, um, I kind of stuck to myself. Like I had teammates and stuff and Nashville was like totally like, uh, you know, like five people and you're just like thrown into a new city, a new sport. And, um, it was amazing. And it's, it's awesome how quickly you can meet tons of people. And, um, yeah, so that, and I feel like I always, I feel like I grew up in Nashville, even though it was just like five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I learned so much, um, about myself, about other people. Um, yeah. And, 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 and with that all, like running 
I started running again when, cause once I got there, like I didn't have a job right away. And I was like, well, I guess I'll go check out the city. <laughs> and I went for a short run and the body felt good. And so kind of when I was skydiving, I was getting back into running and, and also a big part of that too. I, I forget this point, but it was a, I know it was in my head when I was doing it in Colorado, I was like known as a runner and everything. And, and when you're injured all the time and like yeah. have other hobbies, it gets it gets tiring. Like when that's all people think about you. And so going to Nashville, I kind of could like start a new identity and turns out I come right back to running. (laughs) (laughs) But the neat thing was, is no one knew me as that. They didn't really know me as anything. And so like skydiving, we're all skydivers and stuff, but I, that was 2017 and I did the U S mountain champs again and I made it. And and so like everyone in Nashville, like, like the people I worked at a pizza place and then all the skydivers and then all the <laughs> film work people, they were just like, Whoa. Like, Whoa and I'm you like, could do this. Yeah. Like they <laughs> thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm like, this is fun <laughs> to have people and appreciate then, it. And then you, you guys won the gold medal that year and you were we the did. highest placing American. No big deal. So <laughs> a pretty, pretty great way to, you know, reintroduce yourself to the running world. This is so funny, Allie, because like I was so thinking as I was just kind of like looking at your story and trying to decide where I wanted to go with the conversation. I was like, it's kind of strange how there was like that big gap in between 2014 and 2017 when she sort of burst onto the scene. And I remember the Pikes Peak race when you beat Morgan Aratola. And then, you know, you disappeared for a couple of years and you were just out skydiving and and, uh, (laughs) living the dream in Nashville. So I I don't want to go too far without talking about, you know, this creative side of you, because it seems like, you know, you're into film and music. And I know, like, you do at least some work for ATRA, the American Trail Running Association, that incorporates some of this creative talent that you have. So maybe where was that born? And just kind of tell us, um, you know, how you view yourself artistically, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it all started with really working for the radio station and music videos. Like I just love how music can add to anything and just like the, the emotional side of stuff. And, um, and so then working on music videos, I kind of took that to my own style. When I did weddings, that essentially is kind of a music video. When you say doing weddings, you're, are you filming weddings? Yes. Or shoot? Okay. Yeah. I would, I actually, I were, I was a, worked with a guy for a whole summer in Nashville who was very good. Him and his wife had a business and they charge very high dollar. And so that's why I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'll get into this. Like, yeah. yeah. And I did for... Ultimately, that's what I did when I moved back to um, back to Colorado. I wanted to start my own business and I thought the money was going to be in weddings. Um, but then 2020 hit yeah. <laughs> all, um, all the weddings I had booked, can- canceled, postponed. Um, and so that's when I started working for Atra. I had known Nancy and um, I don't know what that... I think like we had talked about doing videos for them before, but I was still living in Nashville. So like I did, I would come and do like little things. Um, but then, yeah, when 2020 came around, it really opened up a lot of things. Um, and we went to some races that were still happening and would make films and uh, she really liked it all. And, and then the, I, I did the weddings that were rescheduled and stuff, but then I realized like how stressful they actually are compared to these running videos. <laughs> um, and so I slowly, I still did a couple last year of friend, like 
yes. And I, I would still do them, but I do not want to have like a whole summer booked. And like, if I'm running, like when running's going well, it's most weddings are in the summer on the weekends. And so I'm like, ah, that's not going to work too well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyways, did a lot of work for Atra. And then, um, I, I forget how the conversation all started, but I am now working for Aravipa as well. I'm oh. their, uh, content producer in Colorado, but I oh, work. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But before they opened the office, I did contract work for them. So I worked at, um, Cocodona the first year and, yeah. And then I got hired last December. Awesome. Are you musically inclined also? Because I mean, Nashville is known for obviously the music scene and you're talking about your history in radio. Are you musical yeah. also? No, I, I took piano lessons a long time ago. And yeah. I like when I was like in elementary school and I, it just never clicked, yeah. <laughs> but I love it. Like I'm a consumer of it. And so being out there was so fun because I was surrounded by them all and it's a grind, like to see like all my roommates trying to make it, all the people at the pizza place trying to make it. It was nice to like just be watching them and not be in the rat race as yeah. well. Yeah. However, I did feel like I fit in because I was still in the creative film thing. So I made some music videos for them, like small projects. So I still like we got to help each other and you know, well, I was like 28, 29 there. I still felt old to be working at a pizza place. Like I'm like, Oh, I have a, I have a college degree and here I am like yeah. trying to hustle on the side, but in Nashville, that's everyone. Right, and yeah. so like, I felt like I fit in. And then once I moved back to Colorado, like I didn't, I still worked restaurant for a little while, but it, I didn't feel as good about it. Cause um, yeah, Nashville, that's like what you do. Yeah. <laughs> So cool. So now you're back home in Colorado. You get to marry your lifelong love of running with, you know, a creative streak as well. So what, what ultimately brought you back home just to sort of round out the story? Yeah. Um, several things, but mostly like I did want to, I was getting serious about starting, um, my own business and and I, I knew I wanted to come back. So with weddings, it's a lot of it you get hired like locally usually. And so right. I was like, I don't want to like have a foundation in yeah. Tennessee, but, um, but also it felt time. Um, <laughs> there was just a lot of drama around my life. <laughs> like, I was not in it. <laughs> but we it don't need to all, go there. Yeah. We don't yeah, need to go there. It was a okay. lot. And so I was like, I'm just ready to get home and get away from it. Like I, I'm still, I still talk to everyone there, but it's, it was nice to kind of separate myself from yeah. How does, um, maybe the last question on this sort of creative side of your life, because I think it's interesting. I mean, is that something that's been with you forever? And and maybe how has it helped to support your athletic life over the years? Or in, in what ways has your athletic life sort of influenced your creative direction? You know, um, I... L- I you don't... Know, I've always been creative, but the film and stuff didn't really come till um, right around after college. And it's funny. Cause I, I still think, you know, picking a major in college, I think for like 90% of us, we're just too young <laughs> at that point to know. Totally. <laughs> um, I don't want to speak for everyone. Cause there's some kids who really are driven, yeah. but, um, I really, I went for sports medicine and switched that quite fast for multiple reasons. Um, chemistry kicked my butt and, uh, and I realized I didn't want my whole life to be all around running or sports. Like, 
if, if you're sports medicine, you're constantly going to be like seeing athletes as patients. And then, and then you also run. And I just realized like, no, that's going to be too much. So I moved to communications cause that's the like easiest. <laughs> so block. did I, I literally did the exact same thing. Yeah. I, cause I, I literally was like on the sports med path too. And just like was sitting in these lab classes. Like oh I hate this. <laughs> I think I cried one morning in biology. Lab. I was like, I just do not want to be here. <laughs> this is so funny. Yeah. I feel so simpatico with you as the lacrosse player as a, a radio person, radio listener, at least myself, my entire life. And now coming to find out that we're failed, uh, sports medicine, people who turn into <laughs> communicators. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so cool. Well, and one, okay. I, I need to keep on this track, but one, <laughs> one of the things I was hoping to do when I moved to Nashville was work for, it's called the Bobby Bone show. Um, it's a country radio station, but they're syndicated. Um, but yeah, I was never on air and I don't think that would have been right for me, but I wanted to work in it in some capacity, but to see you like announcing and stuff, and that's cool. You took that path. <laughs> yeah. It's like in, in hindsight, it makes perfect sense because I've been a sports talk radio person my whole life, but free trail is grateful for the support of Jolbo eyewear, the best sunglass brand in the game. I've been fortunate to work with these guys for probably seven or eight years at this point. Jolbo was born in the mountains of France way back in 1888, and they have been a leader in mountain sport eyewear ever since. Jolbo's special sauce lies in the photochromic reactive lenses that adjust to lighting conditions, getting lighter or darker depending on the intensity of the natural light. It's really just an amazing product. You put them on and you keep them on, no matter if you're in the shade, in variable lights or full-on bluebird conditions. The glasses adjust for you so you don't have to. My two favorite models are the Ultimate and the Fury, so go check these out. The Ultimate is more of an exposed lens, athletic look, where the Fury is more of a shield design, but both are under 27 grams, so extremely lightweight and high performance. Best sunnies in the trail biz. Go check out the products at jolbo.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. jolbo.com, code FREETRAIL10. Important note, this discount does apply to prescription shades, but does not apply for those outside the US. Apologies to our international listeners, but big thanks to Jolbo. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, the first brand to believe in our fledgling operation. Gnarly makes the best nutrition products on the market for outdoor and mountain sport athletes, top to bottom. Everything is first class, much like the people that work for the company. You've heard me talk about the Fuel 2 drink mix, the BCAAs, the Performance Greens. Well, today I want to tell you about the Gnarly Hydrate Electrolyte Mix. Harmony, my wife, will tell you I am obnoxious and annoying about hydration. I suspect most athletes walk around at least moderately dehydrated day to day. And I think improving hydration status is the simplest thing that you can do to improve your performance. Of course, improving hydration is not just about drinking more water. You also need minerals and electrolytes, which the gnarly hydration mix has in spades. Loaded with electrolytes and B vitamins, Gnarly Hydrate has everything you need to keep your muscles and brain fully engaged 
to power through your time on the trails and in your daily life. As usual, you can get 15% off your purchase of Gnarly Hydrate and any of their other amazing products by visiting gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. Back to the show. Anyway, well, what an awesome, this is so fun. I mean, we basically spent the whole time talking about your, your whole history and it's been nonstop entertainment. So I appreciate you, uh, (laughs) you sort of, uh, allowing me to, to go that deep with you, but you know, obviously like I want to talk about things that you've been up to recently and I want to leave ample room to talk all about Mount Marathon this year. So maybe we'll just kind of touch on last year when it seems like you really started coming back into your own as an athlete. And, and then of course, what you've been up to this summer as well. So maybe quickly, let's just talk about last summer where you did the, um, Pikes Peak Ascent and Pikes Peak Marathon on consecutive days. And then you did the triple crown at Broken Arrow. And it, I just like have to admit that it makes me scratch my head a little bit. I'm like, Man, Allie like only did five races all year and it, they were, it seems like they were all clustered on two race weekends. So I'm wondering <laughs> what the strategy was behind doing the double at Pikes Peak and then the triple at uh, at Broken Arrow. And I have to say, you obviously perform phenomenally. So the, the strategy is not, you know, totally, uh, you know, it's not unintelligent on on the surface, I don't think. But I'm curious where the thought process was behind that. Yeah. Um, well, and it is, it is really wild that I never would have dreamed I would do stuff like that because going back to 14, I was very limited with my races. Like I didn't really know. Well, it seems like all these other ones were longer. Like the U S mountain champs are always like six miles or seven miles. And, and so I'd pretty much do the qualifier, do the worlds if I made it. And then Pikes Peak. Um, I always, I always heard about these other races, I think Broken Arrow started in 16, but then um, there was like the rut and these, but um, yeah, never did them. Um, I think I was always worried about injury. And so then to like jump into this bigger spectrum of these more races and meet more people was really fun last year. And I realized there's more than just the U.S. Mountain Champs. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, last year I, I had ran some other races earlier in the year and just had like awful experiences. Um just ran really terrible, like felt terrible. Um, I honestly still don't, I have a few thoughts, maybe what was causing it, but, um, yeah, it was just like disappointing, but I still like, but overall I was healthy. So I wasn't like, just going to like give up for this season. Um, and so then it was like, you know what, I'm not running my best, let's just run them all. (laughs) Like, Let's make things exciting. And, uh, And that's kind of, that was the Pike's Peak idea. Um, Again, I like felt healthy. I had done the marathon. I knew I could handle the marathon down because I did that in 2020. So I was like, I, and I was also having FOMO. I'm like, I know whichever one I choose, I'm going to be sitting there the next day wanting to do it. Um, So yeah, I did that. And the fact that I came out healthy was, I think the, one of the biggest mental breakthroughs for me, um, in long distance, I never thought I'd be able to run that much. Not, I mean, I know they were separate days, but just back to back, like 40 some miles total. Um, that was really cool. So then come broken arrow, I actually wasn't going to go. I was going to learn to base jump that weekend (laughs) and then things kind of fell through. And, uh, and Nancy from the American Trail Running Association, 
she's always up. Like if I'm able to come work it, um, she'll bring me along. And so she did. And she's like, well, if you want to run one of the days too. And, um, and Brendan had contacted me about, um, an entry and stuff. And again, I couldn't decide. Which race did you do? (laughs) I I ran a circ race up at Targi in September. And again, that I got fourth, but like, you know, I think I should do better than that. And so it was just like, I felt awful about it. And I was like, and the next day I went on a long run. I was like, I'm going to do the do 52K. all three. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I, I, I said, I'm going to do the 52 K. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I I've never done something long. I want to do it. And then like, as the weeks went on, it was like, I don't, I don't know what the final straw was. And I hope Nancy would find this funny, but uh, I, I'll do film work no matter what. But then we also had a booth and I was like, man, I don't want to stand at the booth. If I run every day, I won't have to work every day. <laughs> so Brilliant. I like, I'm going to just do them all. And, uh, and um, so then, yeah, I talked to Brendan and was like, I, yeah, sign me up for all of them. And uh, the 26 k was actually full, but once I got there, they made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh it was so exhilarating. Like I do, I think I, I do thrive on the back-to-back days a little bit because I feel better the second day. The third day, yeah, I don't know if I would do that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's incredible. And the, I mean, the results, like I said, were very impressive. And I, I mean, for me, better than you would expect, especially with that level of competition to win the Pikes Peak Ascent and then finish second to Stevie Kramer in the marathon in back-to-back days is silly. And then to win the VK and the 52K on back-to-back days at Broken Arrow. And then I forget what it was, but a respectable top 10 finish in the 26K on the third and final day. It was like Allie McLaughlin's back. You mentioned this, but maybe expand on it. I mean, after coming through so many years of injury and then kind of doing the tour of duty creatively where you sort of disentangled yourself from your identity as a runner was there some joy in coming back to the sport and sort of going on these racing binges totally like more so for like I mean community is always a cool thing but again I felt like besides my tight little group like with Atra or um and people I had ran with um back in 2014 a lot of these people like faces were new to me so like that was cool to meet new people, but the satisfaction of staying healthy was just so yeah. cool. And, and, um, and I was trying to figure out what I was doing different so I could keep that going. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think, and I realized, yeah, I kind of ran away from running, but I realized ultimately this is where, what I love to do. And, yeah. and I love, love, love skydiving, but I think running will always be my first, um, yeah, but it's nice to have things to fall back on yeah. and just to mix up. Yeah, and our injuries do teach us things. You mentioned that earlier in our conversation, and I've always thought it would be a good podcast to just basically do episodes and talk only about injury and what you sort of learn from it and the oh, dark yeah. the dark days of being in the middle of those existential crises when it feels like our lives are ending and then coming through the other side with this like new appreciation of health and also just like a new understanding of who you are. So maybe that'll be a, maybe that's something you and I can work on as a. Absolutely. And one thing like (laughs) we can go deeper later, but I think 
I see people now my age or older who get their first injury ever and yeah. may have to have surgery or not. And it just crushes yeah. them. And, and I'm here saying like, I can see the other side already. I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, you, you might have to take a year off, which I know sounds like the worst thing ever, but like yeah. in the blip of things, trust me, it goes by. I've taken so many different like years <laughs> off in a way. And, uh, the best is, can still be yet to come. And, yeah. uh, and you also learn like how to be calm about it. I, I, um, I had to take four months off before, uh, let's see, 2020 to uh, the winter, not this last winter, but the winter before with some it band thing that just like never got better. But I really, I don't cross train as hard anymore either. I just kind of like wait and just chill. do other it's, things. And then I feel like it, when it's time, it's time. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I was kind of meditating on the brevity of 12 months today. I was just thinking like how short years are now. And of course I'm, I'm 36 now. And so time starts to feel like it's accelerating a little bit, but like we're putting the finishing touches on our video about my race at hard rock last summer, which is of course coming up in next week at the end of next week. I'm like, man, it's already been, that a, year. By so it's already been a year. It's like, and I haven't been fit since then. And not because of injury, thank goodness, but more just because life has been right. hectic, but it does. Yeah. It's an important thing to remember that the time always moves a little bit more quickly than you think it's going to. And when you're staring down the barrel of three months or six months or 12 months off running that, even though it feels totally, you know, just overwhelming, it's, you, you do get through it eventually. So anyway, let's, uh, let's move and talk about, uh, Mount Marathon. Maybe we'll just kind of skip over Broken Arrow for now, unless there's anything special you want to mention. But again, you smashed it at Broken Arrow, won the VK by a huge margin. I think it was like 90 seconds or two minutes that you won the VK this year and then finished or followed it up with an awesome second place finish to Sophia Lockley in the 26K which was awesome. Um, but then just last week, a couple days ago now at Mount Marathon, it looks like you had like a dream day. And according to your Instagram post, it seems like it's was something that you had been thinking about for years wanting to do this race. So maybe, um, we'll start this conversation about like, when did Mount Marathon kind of land on, on your radar as something that you wanted to tackle yourself? Totally. Yeah. I don't remember the exact, um, when, but I guarantee it was 2014. Um, it was probably Peter Maximo. Um, if you know him, uh, been in the sport for a while, but also he's been injured, but still very involved. He works with Atra, does photography and, um, I'm really good friends with him and, uh, we've had some great running, uh, like trips together, like for work and, uh, yeah, just great to be around, but he's always since day one, like seeing my potential and known it and, um, and, ta- and Mount Marathon he's talked about since probably 2014. And so that was when I was first aware of it. But back then I was like horrified of downhill. I would never do Pikes Peak Marathon, scared of injury and people are, like, and so him and many other people are like, Oh, you could crush Mount Marathon. But I was like, Oh gosh, like coming down. Huh? Yeah. I could go to the top, but, um, I don't want to get hurt and I'm not that fast. So it's, it, it's so cool how it all has, it worked out that this was the year because I have so much more confidence in downhill now. And, um, 
And I guess like I always wanted to do it, but I was just, I was doing other things. I was living in Nashville or this or that, or I wasn't in shape and stuff, but coming back 2020, I was feeling really healthy. And, um, and I was back training in Colorado on the incline and there's a lot of people there who know about it. And it's specifically one guy named Sean Erchinger. Um, I wish I could have him next to me so you could, (laughs) he's a character, his energy, (laughs) um, he's funny, whatever. But, um, he grew up in Seward and has done Mount Marathon I think every year since he was 12. Wow. And he's like 55 now, maybe a little younger. Sorry if I added a few years there. <laughs> but um, anyways, I see him on the incline often. And so 2020, um, I was there often in the spring and well, the winter and the spring. And and so he was like, I, I know everyone up there. Like, I will help you get in. Like you write a resume, but I'll like call them. And I, yeah. I'm sure he pestered them, but um, I, I did get in that year. But then they changed the, they changed it to September and then they canceled it all together. And then 2021, because of COVID, they didn't want it on the same day as 4th of July, like just to split up the groups. So it was going to be the seventh when I had to, they let us defer again. And so in March I was still having it band problems and I had a wedding to film 4th of July weekend. So I was like, I'm just going to defer another year, even though I turned out to be somewhat healthy. But then, so then that brought us to this year and looking back, I was not happy. It all done. worked out. Yeah. Yes. Because <laughs> last year I was having good and bad races, a lot of bad races, just not like just legs, not feeling well. And then I hadn't really practiced much downhill. And then this year I like started training for real in like March or so. And I started doing this thing on the incline where I'd go super hard up and then immediately as hard as I could down, which is not technical, but down the, it's down the bar trail or down the incline, uh, down the incline. Okay. And then I would run another mile on the pavement back to my car and coming Like I said, it's not technical, like not marathon, but that load, like turning right around yeah. after going up. So I was doing that like every week to 10 days. Um, uh, I did it with Zach Miller actually, like a month and a half ago, because we used to train together in yeah. 14. And we both got PRs from our times in 2014. Nice. And that was so motivating for both of us. Like, oh my gosh, we're back we're where back. we used to be. And of course, he just won the race in Andorra. So yes. I mean, I'm actually setting up a podcast with him too. I can't wait to catch up with Zach. So Oh, great. Yeah, yeah I'm so excited because I am going to do OCC. So he will, I get to watch him do UTMB. Yeah. Okay. So Um, keep going. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just not the best storyteller. No, no. So, so any, you, you ultimately make it finally to Seward this year and it it, it seems like the stars are aligning for, I mean, I was actually Google earthing Seward today just to kind of understand where it is a little bit better. Like, how do you even get there? I mean, what, what's the process like? to arrive in Seward and what's the vibe like around Mount Marathon day? Because I've watched it every year for the last like 10 years or whenever it was that Ricky yeah. Gates put it on the map in the lower 48. I, I'd love to sort of hear what the vibe is like in town and, and sort of ha- practically how you go about actually even getting there. Okay. So, yeah. And I think that was another thing about having not gone. Cause it was just like, just like a lot of work, you know? yeah. but you know, you, I mean, once, people are always willing to help and stuff, but I don't, I kind of don't like that. Sometimes I like, just want to like be able to do it myself. And my parents were actually going to come if we did it in 2020. Um, and that's always nice to travel with them, but they did not this year. Um, but, uh, what worked out is since I was filming, um, Western, um, for, 
uh, Atra, um, Tate Pullman, who also is journalist for them. Um, we, we were there with Peter as well. And then Nancy sent him to, uh, Mount Marathon. So we traveled together, which was awesome. Um, so we left Western and then we got a flight to Anchorage and, um, and then there's like online, there's a scenic, they call it a scenic bus ride, but they don't stop at all. It's like $70. You can, you just get on that, um, from there. Well, it's at the civic center. So you take a Uber to the civic center get on the bus and it takes you straight to Seward. It's like a little less than three hour bus ride. Yeah. Um, and what's Seward like? I mean, cause it seems like it's a s- small town. Once you're there, when you get off the bus, probably everything's kind of walkable. And I mean, yes. I, I want to um, also hear just kind of like, cause I think thousands of people come from towns across Alaska to be there. Don't they? I am pretty sure that is the thing to do on 4th of July in Alaska. Um, Yes. They say about 30,000 people descend on the town and it's probably, gosh, I think we looked it up. I think it's like 2,500 population. I hope that's so the the city 10 X's on 4th of July. Yes. Um, But yeah, it's, it's very touristy, like by the Harbor, Um, you know, they have like, uh, whale watching tours and this and that. And then you get into town a little more and there's like a main street with, um, restaurants and some shops and then kind of houses behind all that and like coffee shops. And then you have the water, um, kind of surrounding on completely one side and then it's the mountain on the other. And then across the water, there's a whole nother, like just long mountain range. Um, that you just look across. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the, uh, live stream, you really get an appreciation of that. Once you kind of pop up over Timberline, it just looks like the most beautiful sound surrounded by these huge peaks that are sort of glaciated and snow covered 360 degrees. It looks like just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant place. So let's talk about the race because of course it was a course record performance and I watched it and it was so rad and you, absolutely smashed it. It was so impressive. But you said in your post-race interview in the broadcast that there's like two routes that you take on the lower part of the mountain on the climb that ultimately converge higher up on the mountain and that you were the only woman who went one of those two directions. All the other contenders, in other words, went the opposite way. Talk about that thought process and and strategy and sort of like what made you want to do that as kind of the rookie at Mount Marathon going up against, you know, veterans and and Alaskans and people who are familiar with the race in the mountain. Totally. Um, So, yeah, you want to. This race, you really want you. You're required to go up at least once um, because it's so technical. Uh, And then we got there like four days early. And let me tell you, like the amount of running talk and course analyzation, (laughs) um, a handful of us did was probably like mind numbing, but, and there were times I'm like, Oh my gosh, we've talked about running, but I'm like, this is the only race that it's an exception because (laughs) it was, it was really important. Um, I went up with Sean and Tate the, on Friday, we just hiked the whole thing and he showed us what's called the cliffs at the bottom. And it's, you basically, I like, it's kind of like uh bouldering rock climbing. Like you don't need ropes or anything, but you really got to yeah, yeah. like place your hands and you're crawling up and it's tons of loose dirt getting up to it. Um, but that's what he showed me. And then talking with 
people that evening, they were like, oh yeah, Cliffs is the way to go. So in my mind, I was like, okay, Cliffs is the way to go. Like, I'm not even going to worry. Well, then I was like, a couple people had said, including Sean, he's like, tomorrow you should come back and do both routes and time yourself on them. And I'm like, I'm not I'm like the race is in two days. I'm not going to like, <laughs> like do like repeats on these, but then, and then someone else from Anchorage who I'm friends with, he had texted me. He's like, if you want to be really competitive, you should time yourself on them. I was like, okay, I'll go check them out. Well, then we get there and Sean's I didn't even know he's going to be there, but he's timing himself. And uh, so I did a couple with him and I do the roots and I, oh my gosh, it reminded me more of the incline. It's more stairs. There's more handholds. You just kind of like step up the roots versus like sliding and rock climbing. And and I did time myself and I wasn't like, like race pacing it, but I tried to go the same effort. And for me, the roots took way less effort and I had a faster time. So I was like, Oh, well, that's the way to go. Yeah. And so at first I was like, well, I'm not going to tell anyone, but then I did uh, talking with people. I, they already had their mindset on the cliff so much that I was like, yeah, I'm doing the roots, but like, that's for me later. I mean, that's like other people are probably, maybe they've done the same thing and their technique, they're faster on that. So I was like, I think it just works like whatever works for you. But then as I talked to more people and watched some videos it sounds like Ali Ostrander took the roots and uh-huh. so did Killian. So I was like, okay, I'm not crazy for doing this. Yeah. Um, and then it was race morning that I watched the start of the men's race. And I saw there's the cliffs, there's the roots. And then there's this other little trail. That's an even sharper turn. And I saw a guy take it and I was like, I'm going to go see where that goes. And basically it's just an even sharper cut. You cut off a little and it, it takes you to the roots at just a slightly different angle. Yeah. Um, probably cuts off like a little effort, maybe like one second, but still I was like, cool. <laughs> one so, second like, makes sold. a difference I, in a 5k. That's for sure. Well, that, and I was kind of going for time. So I was like, it was so great to have my mind so completely set on what I was doing. Cause if I'm indecisive in a race, and yeah. usually you don't have issues of route in most races, but to just, have a plan, I think was the best idea. Like I don't do my homework very well, but on this race, like it was so good to go in confidently knowing what I was going to do. So yeah, we get there and I take my hard corner and, uh, and ever, as far as I know, at least in the top group ever, no one followed me. And even my friend, Olivia, who was like, maybe a few steps back, she was like, yeah, I think you really threw them off. They did not expect you to take that sharp turn. And then a few other girls like got real confused. And I, I don't know what happened, but it sounds like it caused some <laughs> confusion. Really? And then if you do go fast enough, you can slip by into the brush before they even get up, like if I was fast enough, so they would not even see me. They might think they I'm wouldn't still know where you are behind. Yeah. So that's what was my goal. I was like, if I can get up, I mean, even on the broadcast, people didn't know where you were. There's like <laughs> until until you were like whatever two thirds of the way up the mountain, people thought yeah. you know, one of the other I think Native Alaskan women was uh, was there was in the lead. But anyway, I mean, it's just fascinating to learn more about the race and the strategy. And, you know, speaking about the strategy, I think 
for you, it's interesting. Like you've, you've mentioned that at least at some points in your career, you've been a little self-conscious about your descending, but you're an absolutely ridiculously fast climber. And I think, I mean, Max King posted that you ran the third fastest climb overall between men and women on race day. Is that accurate? So cool to hear. Um, (laughs) I did feel really good on the climb and my goal was to like keep running. Like I, and, and it's a mental thing too. Like the last couple of years, um, like I said, I had some like off races last year. I just, as bad as this sounds, like as the, as soon as stuff started hurting, I just didn't care. I was yeah. like, I'm not going to die. Like, I don't care if I, if they beat me, yeah. but something about this race, I was so focused and yeah, like my calves hurt a little bit. My quads actually didn't feel too bad, but I was able to run through it. I would like, I would like hike and in parts I thought need to be hiked. And then I'd pick up a run and, uh, and then, and yeah, Nick, I was able to do that the entire way up. And I was hoping to get up in like 36. And so I was doing these like quarter increments. If I could make it to like each quarter in eight minutes, I don't know. I had all this weird time. I I basically just had, was doing math in my head the whole time, Um, but I got up there in 34, 20. And I was like, that kind of shocked me. I was stoked. And then to hear that the, I would have been third in the men. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, that's, that's cool. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, it was shocking. I think for everybody watching the broadcast, especially because like you had such a big lead at the top, it was like, even if she's a terrible downhill runner, she's still going to win the race. But yeah, I mean, basically it seems like the strategy is always just to pin it from the beginning to the, to the end. You, you know, you, it's not like you conserve effort on the, on the climb to run faster on the descent. So I, I guess just like, I, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about getting the course record because the race has been around for a long time. I was actually going to try and look this up while we're just on the call here. It looks like records go back as far as 1963 for the women, but as far back as 1915 for the men's race. So it's more than a hundred years old and on the men's side. And so, you know, obviously you broke the course record and you took it from Emily Forsberg, who's of course a legend of the game and somebody who is like, you know, you don't need to say anything about, she's been so great in her career. And you've mentioned earlier that like you knew what the course record was and you were really focused on it during the day. Talk about how that maybe impacted your psychology and like how you were looking at your watch along the way. Like, did you have splits? Did you know like where you were relative to the record the whole time? Sort of. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, when you haven't like raced or like really ran a course hard, you don't know, like, you know, which parts are like, should take longer or whatever. But like I said, I knew where the quarter up the mountain and a half up the mountain and that three, four minutes on the road. So yeah, I was, like I said, I kind of had an uptime, but then once I got my uptime and headed down, I was like, it is what it is now. Like (laughs) you just got to go. But again, I mentioned that Sean Erchinger a lot. He really was a, I think a big player in me getting it just motivation wise and, and like being there to show me the course and talk about where the hat, where the quarter, where the half was and, and what good times are at which spot. And, uh, but just the things he said, like, you know, he's, uh, he's like, and now there's no smiling, like until this race is over, it's a war when you're running, like you can, (laughs) 
please smile after. And then, and then he's like, if you're coming down that strip, that the road and it, you're about to get the record, there's no high five and Killian stuff going on. Like you better <laughs> save that for after. And, and it was just like little things like that. I, from the get go, I had never, I've never ran a race that I was so focused and calm at the same time. Like my, sometimes like I, I'll start breathing and I get like stressed out and then my mind starts running, but like, yeah. I just like was so calm, but so focused. Like, What I do you attribute that to? Is it just like, you were just pure, pure joy that you were there and you're finally doing the race or maybe it was a lot of sitting around yeah. before and it was like, we just got to get the show on the road. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, there's, uh, some people had fun, but, and I had fun in Seward, but you know, you're trying to like taper, you don't want to like do too many activities. Yeah. So it was definitely like getting a little stir crazy and it was great temperature, but I really think like having Sean in my head about each thing, it was like, you can do this, just like, get it, like click out. Like I got to the gate in three minutes and then, I got to, um, the quarter up at, in like, I was planning for 12 minutes, but I was there at like 10 20 and it was just like really focusing on the time I think, um, occupied my mind, which I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, so cool. Yeah. And I'm just looking at these historical times here and you mentioned you got to the top in 34 20, I think is what you said. Yeah. And you finished in yes. 4709, which means it's a 13 minute descent off the top of the mountain back into town, which is just, it's so crazy to think because when you watch the broadcast, you know, you're up at 3000 feet. You're like, how could you possibly get down to the center of town in 13 minutes from there? But you managed to do it. And the other thing I wanted to point out, just looking at these records here is that yourself, Ali Ostrander, who's an Alaskan, uh, and Emily Forsberg are the only three women to ever go under 50 minutes. So pretty great company to be in and pretty awesome that you've got the course record. Um, speaking of Killian, did you, I know that post-race festivities are also notorious and, uh, in Seward. And I recall a video where Killian's like doing keg stands keg with stands, the locals. Yes. <laughs> did you, did you smash a keg stand afterwards? Yeah, it did not get that wild this year. <laughs> I think partially because of that year, um, we've heard like some of the parties like, shut down a little early and it was a Monday, <laughs> but we do get this little chalice as an award, Max and I, and, um, you can go to any of the bars and get it filled up. And so, um, I got a white Russian at the flamingo, um, <laughs> at the flamingo lounge. And, um, that was pretty special. And then, you know, it was actually a pretty chill. We went to a few parties, like the house I was staying in, but, um, we were all pretty beat, which, I, I always like, I'm like, Oh, we're going to party after this. <laughs> and then you like, then you're tired. But, um, so then we realized we were all kind of hanging out together. We met some really, really cool people and especially the Alaskans and stuff, but ultimately we're like, okay, we could stay or we could like, and talk to each other, or we could go back to the house and still talk to each other. So yeah. we got a bunch of ice cream and sat at the table and it was just like a little family. And honestly, the, so I stayed in the Solomon house. Yeah. Um, I, uh, they let me join since I didn't have a place to stay. And just like, it was like, like I said, it was, I don't know, there's probably like eight of us. And, um, I got to become really good friends with all of them. And I just, uh, it was, it was a great, experience. what a fun weekend. Well, that makes, yeah. yeah. What, I mean, I'm sure that was just like a career highlight for you, not only the race itself, but just the whole lifestyle element of it as well. And that chalice I'm sure will, be filled up by various bars and in, in sewer 
in the future as well. I'm sure you'll want to go yeah, back. So and that was it. awesome. So now looking ahead a little bit, you mentioned you're going to be doing OCC. I picked up that beta also in your post-race interview on the broadcast. And aside from the Broken Arrow 52K, you know, this is sort of a race that is outside, you know, what I would consider your wheelhouse, right? Like obviously you're a great runner and you're now kind of stepping into the, the ultra distance. Of course, Mount Marathon's only a 5k total. This is going to be 50k. How are you uh, looking ahead towards OCC and, and maybe beyond that? Like what are some of your longer term goals? Yeah. Um, so contrary to last year where I did several races in a row and just did them all this year, I'm realizing yeah, how nice it is to be fresh for a race. (laughs) So, um, I was going to do some Zurich stuff in between and stuff. And I'm like, no, I just, uh, I need to get some longer distance stuff in. Cause yeah, 35 miles for me is very long (laughs) and I'm a little nervous, but, um, but I think if I just slow down a little bit and, uh, and get some long runs in the next six weeks or so, um, yeah, that I'm really excited for the community there and just all the people. Um, have you been out for UTMB week yet? Would no, I've never. Wow. I've been to Chamonix for twenty four hours at, on a random date, but um, never for UTMB. Yeah, well, it's gonna. It's a very, very special event, and I mean, it's probably a similar energy to what you experience in Seward, but in a much different European way. And it's much more of a, instead of being like a bare knuckle brawl in the streets of Alaska, it's like a, you know, high production value, super professional type race. And that's, it's been fun this year to do all these like things I've heard of, but never had the opportunity. So to do both Mount Marathon and OCC, I'm really looking forward to, um, yeah. And like, yeah, like we just said, being part of the experience, not just the race. Um, I also shouldn't even say this, but it could happen. Um, one that I'm really excited too is on, we bought a parachute that says run on clouds. That's our slogan. Oh gosh! And, um, it's being made right now. It takes like a really long time, but should be done at the beginning of August. I'm working with some pilots in Chamonix. If we can get a helicopter up, and uh, have run on clouds in the sky. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Great guerrilla marketing, that is. Right, right? I'm like, hey, guys, Hoke is sponsoring the event, yeah. but I can top one. I yes. can top it for us. I can jump no, out but... of a plane with our brand flying. <laughs> but uh, that it's, it's been a little difficult. Um, just, uh, we're, I mean, a lot of them speak French yeah. and stuff. So uh, we're working on that. It would be amazing if it happens, but might yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, Either way, it'll be in the sky somewhere someday. Uh, hopefully UTMB. What but about yeah, so I'm almost wh- just as excited about that possibility as I am the race. <laughs> <laughs> so that's UTMB. And then um if all if I stay healthy and stuff, um I was gonna do both at Pikes Peak again, but then I'm like, no, let's like really focus on performance rather than just trying to do it all. So yeah. um this year Golden Trail series, the ascent and the Europeans are coming over, so it'd be really cool to give them a run for yeah. a <laughs> Okay. So you would do the Pikes Peak Ascent and then probably leave like the next day to go over to Europe and do it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, Pikes Peak Ascent. Um, they moved it to September this year. What? Yeah. So it's, it's after OCC? It's at, it's three is, weeks after. Is the marathon, is it similar? Like where they have it on the same weekends now? Yep. Yep. They just totally they just moved, moved it. it to September. Huh. Is this the first year they've done it in September? 
Yeah. And part yeah. of the reason, I think there were multiple reasons. One was it con- it conflicted with UTMB and Leadville often. Yeah. Um, and then also they wanted to separate it from tourist tourism season. So there's more parking. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. So that's working out real well. And then after that is um the Flagstaff Sky Peaks, which is Golden Trail. So yeah. that's only a week apart. And then you and would potentially then, um, qualify for the, the final of the golden trail series. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, I don't know the dates of that. I'm not really trying to qualify for that. Like I just like to race. Yeah. Cause people like yeah. if the year it'll be, come deep. Over, it'd yeah. be good. Um, cause I made the Thailand team, um, by okay. winning the VK at Broken Arrow. And, and so I, I think those, those two events kind of conflict with one another, if I'm not mistaken, I think the golden trail final is also in Thailand. If I'm, oh, really? or maybe it's in Madeira, oh. maybe I'm wrong anyway, but I, I think it'd be difficult to do both, but either way, that's an awesome calendar. I wanted to also ask you sort of, as we start winding down before I let you go, you mentioned the Cirque series a couple of times. I actually had Julian Carr on the podcast. Oh, we just awesome. talked the other day and the episode went up, I think yesterday, but, um, you know, I think there's, it's a really exciting time in sort of shorter distance trail stuff. And you've probably experienced some frustration over the course of your career that like, you know, everybody kind of talks about the hundred milers and whatever, and and like the VKs and the Mount Marathons and the Cirque series. Like, I mean, I, I've, I'm so convinced that that Cirque series thing is going to be a phenomenon in the sport. And it's like really, really good for the sport. So maybe any, uh, comments on, Maybe what feels like, at least to me, like a little bit of a revelation in shorter course trail running right now, where the level of competition is going up. There's a little bit more attention. Races like Broken Arrow, I think, have been instrumental in that. And then the Golden Trail series also with their amazing broadcasts of the races happening in Europe that are sub-ultra distance. Any, uh, Any comments on that as we start to wind down? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic thing that's happening. And I I think Julian's doing amazing. His courses are beautiful. Um, it, it does. I'm like, gosh, I wish this was, and actually before I say dates, I think it was, I just didn't know, but I was like, man, I wish this was around in 2014. Cause that was like, that's all I wanted no, to do. It's, I think stuff. it started in 15. I think it's okay, what you said. Okay, yeah. good. I'm not totally off, yeah. but um. Yeah. And even though, but I'm like, cool. Now that I'm like wanting to get into longer stuff, like there's shorter stuff, but this year I'm kind of coming back to shorter stuff. Um, being the VK went well and Mount Marathon went well. So, uh, unfortunately I kind of had my mind made up to do these ones that the Cirque series kind of, I don't know if I'm going to do many of them because I, I, yeah, it's difficult. Like, it's it's a short window, you know, all the races are crammed totally. into two months basically. So And I know people are like, oh, you can do it as a workout. I don't believe in that. I think um I think it just kind of I like to keep my races races and my workout blocks, workout blocks, um, yeah. training blocks. So um so yeah, I don't know if I'll do them this year, but I think one year it would be fun to just do just the whole circuit. Do that circuit because and also they have they are very they're they have money too. It's good um, money, I mean yeah. It's, that's a great incentive. I always like, was like, oh, I'm not going to pick races on money, but like now there's so many beautiful races that do after money. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to, I'll pick and choose yeah. for money. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it, it just, it's fun. Yeah. Well, I think it's awesome for the sport and I think it's great for people like you to, 
I don't know. It just it feels like there has been to this point in the history of the sport such a pressure for people to move up in distance and continue to go longer and ultimately get to the hundred miler. And I think obviously, like you know, there's so much great competition in these short races, and also just for a, from a storytelling and broadcasting perspective, like I think that's a real way to speak to a larger demographic to more like the endurance curious general public than you know totally and yeah to to more answer your question i think it's gonna bring even more people into the sport because most people can at least do a seven mile or so like yeah Yeah. they're pretty difficult they're straight up but i think it's more inviting um yeah we'll bring more people in the sport and i think it's more intense racing it is yeah we're going fast and like i think i think hundreds are amazing in itself, but, um, I think there isn't enough and we're getting there, but there isn't enough respect given to the shorter races yeah, yeah. that it's like, I think these are almost more, yeah, more intense. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like speaking as somebody who loves watching these streams, like the Mount Marathon live stream is like my favorite thing to watch every year because it's, it's done in an hour and you get to watch totally. two, two races and Anyway, it's, it's, and I have to say, I should have said this a long time ago, but the broken arrow with you and Corinne, like that, <laughs> I think broken arrow is cream of the crop right now. Yeah. Um, and with you guys broadcasting it or, um, doing the hosting, yeah. I can't think of the word, <laughs> like amazing job, just fantastic. And thank you for what you do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's a, it's a, it's an honor and a privilege and an inspiration, especially when you're smashing the vertical K to <laughs> scream, scream about it into microphones. Anyway, Ali, man, it's been so fun getting to know you. And it's so funny. I had no idea we had so much in common and oh, uh, now, so now feel like we're good buddies. And, uh, Best of luck to you and your build up to OCC. We'll be rooting for you. And then, you know, all those Golden Trail events beyond that, defending your home turf there at the Pikes Peak Ascent. Totally. I'm a little nervous about it, but I'll I'll give it my best. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you. Hopefully see you around. Okay, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed the chat. Thank you so much to Ali Mack for the super fun conversation. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors as well, without whom we would cease to exist. Speedland. Go visit runspeedland.com. Pick up a pair of the SLHSV, best footwear ever invented. If you're a free trail member, make sure you use our super secret code to get 20% discount. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15, FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchases of the best nutrition products on the market. Finally, Jolbo, best sunglasses ever invented. Go get yourself a pair of free trail one zero for 10% discount. Keep those eyes protected from the UV in the middle of the summertime now. Uh, hope to see you all on the Hard Rock Race Companion live stream on Friday. Again, stay tuned for links to that and more information likely today or tomorrow. Until then, I love you all very much. We'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.